This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Witching Hour is brought to you by Biobod, intuitive, supportive skincare that restores the foundations of happy skin. Hello and welcome to Witching Hour, the podcast that looks at what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us when it comes to making work, work. I'm Lucinda and before we get into it, I need to run to know that it is 6.30 on a Saturday morning. It's pretty sad, isn't it? <laughs> but you I gotta to make sometimes it work. come home from parties at this time. <laughs> Gosh, not so much anymore, Lou. You ain't partying. <laughs> the only partying you're doing is probably peeing on the toilet at six thirty. Yeah. To be honest, oh yeah, it's a and pee two party and four and one. yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and I'm was so this one is I wouldn't call it a good news story. A study saw that one third of men surveyed in the UK saw that using bathroom time was a getaway when their other half is nagging them and to avoid their own children, <laughs> which is pretty good. But. Uh-huh. The findings <laughs> revealed that they spend on average around seven hours a year doing Waiting this, which is quite a bathroom. significant amount of time. That's a day's so work, the findings baby. revealed <laughs> the findings revealed that twenty five percent of men don't know how they cope with the stress of home without the bathroom trips, and twenty three percent called the bathroom their safe space. Oh my word. Where's our safe space? Is it the fucking shower? Do you think? I, I reckon it could be the grocery store. I reckon that would be the next, um, the grocery store like sounds so American, the, the supermarket. Home. Grocery. Yeah. yeah that, geez, I didn't even realize to be fair. I reckon that would be it. most women's safe space. I'd be like, I'm just going to go to the supermarket and do some yeah, shopping. You and you're like, oh my God, seriously. <laughs> oh, seven hours of, a, of the year hiding. It's a long time. It's a long time to take a poo. Today, the mum who was fired a week before her due date, another mum got slammed about concerns about a male daycare educator, but does this new research justify her worries? Is it wrong to directly ask a woman about her baby bump? And how much sex are tired parents having? Gosh, that last one's just got me stumped. The mum who was fired a week before her due date Two years after this mum called Naomi gave birth to her second child, she felt ready to unpause her career and return to her fashion industry job where she worked as a buyer for around 15 years. Her children were young, two and three years old. That's looks like Naomi got that done. Yeah, she was not too tired she was, about having sex. <laughs> no. Good on you, Naomi. And then, sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing so much. <laughs> Because we're immature little kids. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's impressive. Then at 36, she didn't want to commute anymore, so she was doing a big commute for work, so she decided to move to a different role. Naomi and her new manager agreed on an hourly rate. Overall, Naomi says that it feels like I know Naomi, but I'm just saying her name a lot. Overall, she (laughs) says that the job was great, but she noticed a few red flags and so often this happens and particularly I find with mums returning to work I think there's two things why there's a lot of pressure for mums to return to work internally and sometimes of your partner or your family dynamic and sometimes you want to even if it doesn't feel perfect I guess like some mums are like oh I'm actually drowning a bit I need to go back to work yeah and also sometimes when you're returning back to work you prioritize things 
if you're looking for a new job that are more about flexibility, working from home, benefits, et cetera. And then by doing that, you can sometimes miss other red flags, like your manager's no good. There's yeah. no women in your team. The culture is also, I guess, unfortunately, still a lot of the time we feel lucky for them making things work for us as parents. So we're like, oh, we'll put up with that shit because I'm so lucky to even have a job. Like that's exactly the sort of background to our frame of mind. So this is exactly what happened to Naomi. She saw some red flags around the time that her first boss left. Naomi became pregnant in this new role with her third child. When she reached the 20 week mark, she told her CEO her happy news. Obviously she was a bit nervous and anxious. So she told her boss and her boss left around the same time. So then she had a new manager, which is actually so common. This happens in so many occasions where someone that you know and you're familiar with leaves and you're like, shit, I'm pregnant. Yes. Now everything's going to change. Is it going to be the same person? My Et boss cetera. left when I was on mat leave and that 100% it throws you not going back to that job and deciding to freelance because I loved working for her and I loved the way we worked together. So it has a huge impact. It does. So when she told her boss, her new boss, she was met with questions um, about her role, saying that they'll need to get a replacement, which is also really common. So can she kind of create a bit of a to-do list and outline of what she does daily, et cetera, all of her tasks? She did think at the time, this is a little bit weird. I'm going into a lot of detail when you've got my PD for a new role, but I also understand that you need to cover my role while I'm out. One thing to note that in the US, I believe this is still the case, parental leave is a really, really short amount of time. I think they're the only industrialised country in the world that doesn't have an actual government leave policy that support, like they don't get a week of support from the government even. And I'm pretty sure the stat is that one in four mums return to work two weeks after giving birth. I think that's bang on. So that's what I mean when she's doing all this paperwork and she's like, I'm probably only going to take yeah, this is going to be like a holiday. Weeks off. Like I'm going away yeah. for the length of a holiday. Like why are you hiring someone? You... Yeah. A week before her due date, the company's CFO called Naomi into his office. She assumed he'd want to talk through some more things in her PD or her handover notes. Instead, he told her that he had, that the CEO had decided to terminate her employment effective immediately. And then throughout this article, she goes on to share how she felt. On the day that she was fired... The CFO who delivered the news said to her, I don't know why the CEO is doing this. I'm just the messenger, but this is your last day. The CEO thinks you're going to be too busy with your baby and you're going to be distracted. You probably won't have to work anyway. Um, you'll probably get to enjoy the time off and your husband will, you know, pick up the slack or whatever. Go enjoy the baby. To this, she said she was caught so off guard and she thought, wait a minute, what? Like you don't know my financial circumstances and I'm just confused on what's going on dumbfounded would you be should have been thinking about her own baby but instead she's thinking shit what on earth am I going to do and the interesting thing about that is in Australia a lot of the time and I know not everyone's this privileged but a lot of the time we sort of plan what our finances might look like for six to 12 months of leave if you're only planning to take a few months off your return to work is so imminent. You sort of know where your money's coming in again. Whereas in Australia, for example, we'd at least have the government 18-week minimum wage maternity cover for most people who are in that income earning bracket. In America, you're like, okay, I was going to take two months off and then I need a job then. Imagine looking for a job with a two-month yeah. off. Yeah. And three, yes. three children. Exactly. So I think the difference here is what she did, which is quite 
I think it's quite good and obviously very funny. It's very different to Australia. She hired a lawyer, sued them and won. And to what she said, she goes, I was pissed. I was like, this motherfucker, I'm not letting him win because I know who he is and I know he knows who I am. She's like, I just had a baby and no one is going to hire me and no one is going to fire me. She's like, in fact, I had to demonstrate that. I actually had to show that I was looking for jobs with a two-week-old and couldn't get them. And that was true. It made me think, though, since starting Witching Hour, so part of the reason is the conversation around I was made redundant while on that leave. And since that had happened, so many people have reached out saying I was also made redundant on mat leave or I returned back to work from mat leave. There was a whole new restructure. My job was completely different. And it got me thinking about how many women have been in the same situation and is there a bit of a pandemic going on about people being fired, made redundant, not returning to the same role on mat leave? Can't believe how common it is. And how easy it is to get away with. I guess there's so many loopholes that mean a business can get away with it. What framework do you think we need that actually protects the mum? Well, this is a great question from you, Lou, and something that I looked into. Before I answer that. This actually wasn't um, rehearsed for anyone listening. I was like, (laughs) am I about to stump you? (laughs) No, but um, before I answer that, I did want to go into some stats because it's all very well to say, oh, so many of my girlfriends have been made redundant, but what are the actual stats? Like how many women while on mat leave are being made redundant or are having their circumstances change from a workplace perspective? So the Australian Human Rights Commission undertook some research called the Mothers Survey and they found that 32% of mothers who were discriminated against at some point went to look for another job or resigned. So when they returned, exactly when they returned to work, one in five mothers reported that they were made redundant, restructured, dismissed, or their contract was not renewed either during their pregnancy, when they requested to take parental leave or when they returned to work. And that was the stat I was looking for. Yes. And that's a huge one because for people that are on um, non-permanent contracts, what's the opposite? I can't even think, but a lot of people are on those 12 month contracts. So easy for them to just go, oh, we're not renewing it again. Yes. We probably would have if I wasn't having a baby. Yeah. So if you feel like, gosh, I'm hearing so many people are having these changes while they're on mat leave, one in five are actually experiencing that. On what structures can we put in place that you asked about, Lou, I think Australia should potentially follow the lead of the UK. So this year in July, I think it was July, they implemented the Protection from Redundancy Act and it was introduced to enhance job security during pregnancy and family leave, obligating fair treatment and alternative job exploration before redundancy occurs. Currently, employees absent on either maternity, adoption or shared parental leave are afforded special protection in redundancy situations. The law provides that before making a woman who is on maternity leave or an employee on adoption or shared personal leave redundant, the employer must offer them a suitable available vacancy first or a role that's of the same like level, or they need to offer them something else internally that they'd be happy moving to before redundancy. So in other words, that employee moves to the front of the queue for such roles ahead of other colleagues and has a right of refusal to such role if they want the redundancy. If a employer fails to comply with its obligations in this respect, the employee would be able to bring about an automatic unfair dismissal claim. Such a hard one, isn't it? Because I get that if someone is moving to part-time, some roles just are full-time. And if a mother wants to work part-time and that's her choice, I get that that can put 
organisations in a sticky situation. But it just it's still such a shame that by choosing to be to become a parent, even that like getting offered an alternative role, it's still like I get that in some cases it just has to happen. Like it's just reality. But it still feels so unfair that as women we often work so hard and then it's just, again, our careers that are retrofitted. I'm glad that there's these laws that are helping to protect them and at least that they are offered new roles within an organisation because that obviously is better than just being walked out the door. But I'm like, how do we actually make workplaces properly work for women? I don't have the answer. Or work for mothers and primary caregivers. I think more more women in executive leadership. Yeah. The and higher you know up, what? the tone is set. Yeah. And also it's actual more flexibility for the fathers and the secondary caregivers because yeah, it's all well and good and I'm for flexibility for the mothers who genuinely do want to work part-time and all of that. But I think until fathers have more flexibility in the workplace and parenting is seen as equitable up until the point of one has to deliver that baby, one has to recover from birth, one has to grow that baby. But until every other aspect of parenting is seen as more equal, mums are just still going to cop this brunt of being walked out the door of organisations. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully we see those stats go down. But it's more so just I know how many people have reached out and said, me too, or I've been in the same situation, like it's so shit. And I'm like, gosh, this just seems like a lot of people in the same boat. Yeah. It's one in so, five. So if, if that's you, you are not mad. This is an actual thing. Last week, Lou and I discussed a thread that I had found on a Melbourne Mums group on Facebook, which I absolutely love. If you're out there and you're bored, I mean, I, I know that women have enough things to do, but there is... Some community like Facebook groups, there's nothing better than trolling through them. <laughs> it is, it's enlightening. It's hilarious. Are you a part of the group or do you, are you just like observing? Nah, I'm like a far. silent scroller. Oh, like, you sicko. I love it. I know. You're like, what, so what shit good. can I stir in here today? <laughs> I love it. And like, even like the local groups, it's like just the stuff that people say, you know, someone's yeah. dog pooed on my lawn this morning. And then everyone's like, geez, Karen, who did that? Pick <laughs> up your dog shit disgusting we should be better in this area I'm like oh honestly I could read these for hours and people get so riled up don't they yeah well that's exactly what we did primarily me I'll obviously take the um oh no I I was there with you we'll play the audio clips there was a thread a couple of weeks ago that I stumbled across from a mum who was saying that she felt really uncomfortable with a new male educator at her daycare center and upon first reading that, I read the comments. Um, upon it went first absolutely reading that, wild, didn't it? Like it blew yeah, up. To the point where she deleted. Yeah. She like she got a bit bullied. The, the thread. Yeah, she did. Um, and at the time I thought, rightly so, like we are meant to be encouraging this equal society. I think it's a conversation very close to my heart. Like my brother and his partner are both teachers. They're both yeah. male. They're both gay. Yeah. Um, and I know that's how actually really interesting. Was I didn't even think about it from that point of view too, because there would be unfortunately some very close-minded people that don't like having gay male teachers around their kids. Absolutely. I've never thought about that. Yeah. Oh. So I feel like I've kind of heard it from both sides of the fence, and I'm really defensive about it. Like, of course, Sienna has a male educator who we adore. He's amazing. Um, you know, we know him really well. He's her favorite. I love the way they interact. I love the bond they have, and I think this whole stigma of being like, oh, you know, 
I'm worried about this male teacher. Like he shouldn't be teaching my kid. He's just so old school. But Loz, you and I went pretty ham on defending the male educator here. And we were going to run this segment one or two weeks ago, but we actually decided to pull it because of some research we found. And we're not necessarily saying that this research totally justifies this mum, but it is really interesting. So firstly, I'm going to play some clips of how worked up we got defending this male educator. And then Loz is going to get into this research that we found. I'm going to give her grace with one piece of information only. And that is that men abuse women more than women abuse men. And that women in this world feel very unsafe, mostly due to men. Not always. Women can do terrible things too. But mostly it is men hurting women. If we want to move to a world that is more equitable, more equal, we want men in these caring jobs. If this man is good at his job, he is entitled to be there and he does not deserve to be questioned before she's even had much to do with him. This gives me the serious ick because she's not given him the time of day and it's great that there's going to be extra men in a caregiving capacity around your exactly. daughter. As a society, women are constantly talking about wanting men in caregiving roles, wanting men to step up to the table, wanting that equal society, particularly when it comes to sharing the load, yes. right? So if you've got men putting up their hand in a childcare setting, in a teaching setting, that are educating your children, that are looking after your children, how can that not be viewed as a good thing? I just think the whole thing is so ridiculous. Mm. And also like we've got a massive child childcare shortage yeah, we just need at the moment of educators. It yeah, if they like, are on. non-binary, if they're male, if they're female, if they're good people who look after our kids and have our kids' best interests at heart, I think that is discussion over. Yeah, one man in this thread said, "What an offensive prejudice! Did you question your own husband's motives when he told you he'd like to have kids? Do you never leave your daughter alone with him? Based on your terrible post, you need to think twice about him too." Lou and I were very passionate and in some regards I still am and I do stand by that. According to a new study from UNSWQ, around one in six Australian men admit sexual feelings towards children, that is someone under the age of 18. One in 10 Australian men have sexually offended against children. One in one 10? In, oh, my this, God. This is a worse start. This is the worst one for me. It made me feel really sick. One in 15 men admit that they would have sexual contact with a child aged 14 or younger if no one would find out. Oh, and of gosh. these men with sexual feelings towards children, 29.6% wanted help, particularly regards to the settings or the type of men within those settings. Men with sexual feelings and previous offending against children were more likely to work with children. In fact, this was three times more likely. Oh I know, that's that's God. the real stickler for me. Wow. Um, I know, which is why I feel so, I wouldn't say I want to go back on what I said because I still do believe that most men should be given the opportunity to work in those settings and mm. form amazing connections with our children. Mm. But do I think the vetting process may need to be more stringent? Yes. Yeah. And does it give a little bit, and I hate to say it because I just want to defend 
getting men into these roles too, but it obviously does give her a little bit of justification. Absolutely it does. She was it nervous. Does. I don't even want to say that. Like I wish I was saying the opposite, but that those stats are scary. Yeah. They're also, the men are also likely to be married, have higher levels of social support, earn higher incomes and be a victim of child sexual abuse themselves. So wow. this this contradicts the notion that people who are sexually attracted to children are usually social outcasts or outliers or yeah because that's a hundred percent and like the picture you paint in your head it's like the guy sitting in the car outside like the creepy school. it's not the teacher who's quite a nice looking man who lives in a nice house with his nice wife yeah so in fact it's actually the opposite it's probably the average day joe that works at bhp has got three children that's married drives a really nice car like that it's so ridiculous how you like that's so terrifying because you're like why do i even think that like it could be anybody it could be anybody well that's like, why, why I think are we typecasting be terrifying it like that? because we can't typecast so we're like if it's just anyone out there yeah when we're talking about how we can protect our kids an obvious one is to shy away from like kitty language around your private parts so we don't want to be saying like front bum willy um whatever other names you want to call it it has to be vulva vagina penis which i've always been super comfortable with that's a really interesting point i've never thought about it from that angle i've thought of it more from just understanding how the body works i've never thought about it of like having agency over your body from a young age yeah and i think kids are very good at saying what something is so the more that we can normalize that language the better off they're using it and they'll be yeah. able to tell you even yeah, when not they're confused. really little. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. Another thing, and I've got a, a girlfriend that works um, in the working with children section at in government. I don't know actually what that's called. Um, but one thing that she said to me, which I thought was really relevant, was when she looks at a daycare centre or when she's looking at like an educational setting for change rooms or toilet facilities, it's really important that they're open so that they're not hidden or enclosed so that there's full visibility and as a parent you have the right to ask what is the nappy change protocol here how are nappies changed what's the situation where does it happen exactly that's really because interesting usually, there's a glass room between to the exactly. toddler room and the baby room in ours and you can see into it and I've, I've yeah. always thought it was quite weird the way it looked but now I understand that's why it's for visibility exactly right which i thought was an interesting one i had never considered yeah. really and i thought the same thing when i picked up sienna the other day i'm like oh yeah i've never noticed it but there is so it's something to be wary of if you're starting to look for childcare. keeping an open dialogue with your kid about their bodies so try not to make your body shameful i mean i always yeah. talk about i mean i sleep nude so i feel like my children see the whole you and i are real nudists <laughs> 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 And an interesting one, I listened to this episode ages ago with Laura Byrne um, from Life Uncut where she was talking about what your kids watch on your phone. Have, do you, have you heard about this? At, this, at the time, it really shocked scary me. scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so people were airdropping some kids on a boat. I don't know the full story and I'm probably going to get this wrong. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. But um, people were airdropping photos and they airdropped them to her daughter's phone and she accepted and it was like full pornography. Oh, my God. So people are just doing that to any phone around them, like. Well, I don't think they, they, were, they were kids. I don't think they meant to, but they obviously oh. didn't understand the ramifications of what airdrop is. Yeah. Like airdrop like when YouTube you put it on his public. Too. Like the shit yeah. that comes up for kids. I'm not there yet with like that age, but I'm, I'm, that scares me. The lack well, of control online scares me. 
that's another thing that I think is really important as a parent. There are so many controls you can put on your phone. So you can have YouTube kids and not YouTube. You can put supervision, guided access. You can like control channels, remove channels. I've actually removed Coco Melon because I just can't yeah. have that. Is guided anymore. access like the one where you um, click the button Lock three it. times so then it stays on that app? Yeah. That's great. I use that with Ray just because then he can't like go to other apps and make phone calls, but it's good yeah. to know from a safety point of view too. Um, and on that, I want to tell you an awkward story about why it is so important what our children are watching and the controls that you have as a parent on your own phone when you pass it to them. My mother-in-law, bless her, like I know this obviously was not intentional at all and I have a cackle and it's terrible. She felt horrible. She was driving Sienna home and they also live in the Mornington Peninsula, so it's quite a drive. It's like an hour trip. And halfway through, Sienna was just getting really fidgety, irritated, and she thought to give Sienna her phone. And so she said, hey, Siri, can you play Unicorn, right? Unicorn or something. And then she'd handed it to Sienna. And she said what must have happened is like when she'd handed it to her, it must have said Uniporn. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did not even, like, like I should have realised where that was going, but I didn't. So she said she's sitting there driving on the freeway. Oh, my God, she can't just pull over. She can't pull over. And she said Sienna's sitting watching that, and it's like, oh, please get my big horn in your hoof, unicorn one. And she's like, what on earth is she watching? Oh, my God. So she's got got her arm. She's got her arm trying to, like, get the phone back. So it's like, no, no, no. So what happened is it must have been a cartoon. So obviously applicable to children. Children can watch cartoons. There's nothing wrong with that. But the voiceover was of this like naughty, <gasps> porny type voice. Oh, my God. That's even scarier. So that's probably the sort of thing where they're like, Kid, this is going to get through to kids. Like we want this <laughs> to get through to kids. Yeah. Oh, my God. Your so poor mother-in-law. She was horrified. But anyway, the moral of the story is don't give your phone to a child <laughs> when you can't monitor them and Pull over be really careful your actual <laughs> app lock do the triple lock thing wow i did not see where that was going and i should have picked it given the way corn runs with porn with porn mm. wow this has given us a lot of food for thought i'm not going to back down from the fact that i think that men should be in teaching and caring settings but there is no denying that these stats give a little bit of justification as to why this mum was feeling that way. So hopefully we can start to, I mean, as that says, most of those men were sexually abused themselves. The biggest thing that we can do as a society is put more education, resource, money into stopping sexual assault because it obviously has a huge trickle-down effect. And then Mm. I think what we also need to do is make the vetting process, as you said, much more robust in school settings, any, any setting really, but especially any settings that have little kids, babies, young teenagers within them. Loz, did you know that sensitive skin is one of the most common complaints with around 60% of women claiming they suffer from skin sensitivities? Many people with sensitive skin go as far as to say they feel completely excluded from the beauty industry and many feel anxious even when trying new products. I didn't know it was 60%, but I do know that for me during pregnancy and particularly postpartum, my skin has completely changed. So it went from hormonal outbreaks and pigmentation to super sensitive to now dry as a bone. 
Uh, I've been using BioBod for a couple of months now and have noticed a really big difference in the overall look and feel of my skin. I've definitely seen an improvement in my pigmentation and redness. Plus, their rice and oat cleanser in particular smells amazing and is so effective if you're looking for a gentle exfoliation that doesn't leave your skin feeling tight or super dry. BioBod formulas are toxin-free, crafted with proven skin-loving ingredients, and are designed to be gentle on the skin while delivering effective results, making them ideal for skin during and post-pregnancy. With a 100% happiness guarantee, you can feel confident that if any products do not work for your skin, BioBod will refund them. Gotta love a female-led company that believes in science, results, and happy customers. Listeners of Witching Hour will receive 20% off BioBod using code READY20. That's READY20. Is it wrong to directly ask a woman about her baby bump? This was a piece by Nell Frizzell, who was recently on our podcast, Ready or Not. We Which was a great love episode. Nell. Her voice is so soothing. It's like butter, Like I could it? listen to her all day. Oh, she's good. And I love the way she doesn't shy away from the way society doesn't work for mothers. But she also talks about it in such a way that it's not depressing or anger-inducing. Like it's just fact. She's very, very good at what she does. She's so good. And you're a very good interviewer, Lou, because that was an excellent episode. It was a that's, very good episode. That's very kind. I was, I was actually a bit more nervous. <laughs> you're very awkward. You because, yeah, I lo- I'm so good at taking compliments. <laughs> you get, you're like, um, that's very like, nice. <laughs> very kind. That's what I always say. My friend Haley, if she ever gives me a compliment or something, she's like, can you just fucking take it, you weirdo? <laughs> I'm like, thanks. So My eyes go a bit weird. <laughs> anyway, we're not going to read this article. We'll just share it. But it did inspire us to ask everyone on our Ready or Not community out there in those digital streets how they felt about their pregnancy bump and about how people talked about their pregnancy more broadly. Loza, how have you felt in the past about people touching your baby bump? I'm pretty easygoing. I also think I've never had an experience where someone I don't know has touched it. Yeah. Um, I think I'd feel a bit weird if someone came up to me, like put their hands on me and was like, oh, you've got a baby. I'd be like, eek. Yeah. It's weird. Like I don't know you, but my girlfriends, I'm like, yeah. So I gave three options in the poll that I did, which was how do you feel about people touching your bump? It was doesn't bother me. Fine with people close to me touching or I'd rather no one touch. I'm going to assume that you would pick the fine with people close to me touching category, which is me too. What percentage of people do you think said they were fine with people close to them touching? Oh, high. Like 80? So 57%. So still pretty high. Not as high as I thought. Then Mm. what about doesn't bother me? What percentage of people do you think it doesn't bother them? Or maybe 20. Close, 15% which Mm -hmm. leaves 28% for I'd rather no one touch. And I was thinking about this. I do wish I asked those people why, not from a point of view of like I don't get it, but I wanted to know does this this have to do with a really tough pregnancy journey? Does it have to do with perinatal depression and so you're feeling weird about the whole thing? Does it have to do with such severe fear of miscarriage? Does it have to do with the fact that you've had a stillbirth? I was thinking your bump represents a lot that people don't see in front of you and like it's visually in front of you. So if you'd had a really hard pregnancy journey or a traumatic previous pregnancy or a traumatic loss, 
I feel like your bump holds a lot more than what people can see. Some people also have severe body issues and I've never, I mean, obviously as a girl that's grown up in the world, as a teenager, I had, you know, the minor, minor things about my body, but nothing wild. But if you'd had a severe eating disorder, for example, or body issue, pregnancy can bring up a lot for those people and it can make them feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'm making assumptions, but I'm thinking that for a lot of people, their bump symbolizes so much insecurity that they just rather people not touch it. But I was quite surprised. That was nearly a third of people that would rather not touch. Yeah, that surprises totally me. get it. And they're like, I think they're absolutely within their right. But I was surprised. I felt the opposite for me. When I was pregnant, I felt my most secure about my body because I didn't have control of it. So I was like, this is what it looks like. Whereas, you know, when I'm not pregnant, I'm like, I wanted to say try to work out, which is so funny because like I do not try to work out. <laughs> but you when know, I I'm try like, to leave the house for a workout and it doesn't work. God, it's so like, annoying. My, my door's just shut and I can't get through it. <laughs> but like I'm more of like I'll do a juice cleanse or something to shift a couple yeah. of kilos. But yeah. like I'm more focused on like oh, my arms look fat or oh, I want to make exactly sure I'm exactly like, the same as slim you. Out. Whereas when I'm pregnant, I'm like, I'm pregnant, yeah. man. Like it's my body. They're so bad, juice cleansers, by the way. As in, I love them. Don't I know hate why. Them. But always on the first night, I have to go to bed at like six o'clock because I'm so hungry and I'm so tired and I'm so pissed off. Them. I'm like, I need to go to bed. I can't stand them. The love heart tell. hate relationship. <laughs> Could I should I say I hate them once more? Do you know why I probably hate them? Because I can't do them. It's probably a trigger. Like I have no control. So I also asked people for what's the worst thing someone said to them or what should be on the this is what you don't say to pregnant people list. Someone said, so when I announced my pregnancy at work, one of the girls in the team said, finally, we knew it. I'd not said anything early in the pregnancy as we had lost a previous pregnancy. You best believe I gave her a piece of my mind. It's never a place to tell someone I knew it when they tell you they are pregnant. Smile and nod and say congrats, even when you had your own suspicions. That's a perfect example, I reckon, of why people don't want their bump touched if they've had a previously upsetting loss. Pregnancy is carrying a lot for them. It's not just what we can see in their bump. I would never have thought about that. Yeah, I never even would have thought that at all. Especially I knew it too because it doesn't feel like necessarily a negative until you hear no. it in that context. You know yeah. what I mean? It would be a negative if you were like, I knew it. You've been huge since we came. But <laughs> if you were just saying like, oh, I thought you might have been pregnant. It was really interesting getting, I guess, the way that triggered would trigger someone because I, yeah. you see that. Something to be mindful positive. of. Yeah. So I'm really happy that that person shared that. Someone else said, I'm going to read out so many to you now. If you don't do this, your baby might die. And obviously this dot, dot, dot of the things that people put in the middle. Wow, you're still pregnant. I feel like this has been years. Is the baby Jesus. developing okay? You're quite small. You're not having an epidural. What? Oh, trust me. You'll want the epidural. HG pregnancy. Are you sure it's really that bad? Oh, God. You needed to lose weight anyway after she told them that she'd lost 15 kilos in her first trimester from severe HG. So someone oh, said to her, so you yuck. needed to lose weight anyway. People just love to share negative birth stories. I was trying to stay really positive and calm. It was not helpful. I That's a big one for me. I yeah, You've told me stories about that in the past. I really hate it. Yeah. I hate it's it. It's sort of like people are trying to offload their trauma onto you, but it's like, Darcy, I'm already pretty scared. I've got to get a baby out of my stomach or my vagina. I'm not feeling like, even if I'm excited about it, I'm a bit scared. Yeah. And I also think... 
I haven't had that experience as in both of yeah. my births and pregnancies have been great. So I'm like, I don't want the fear of God. Like no. when I had Zave, I'm like, I don't need the fear of God. I'm like, my first one was no. good. Won't it maybe be similar? I don't know. It's really interesting. People want to project, I think, and they, they want to know that they're not alone, which I get, but you don't get to put your negative experience under someone else's. In terms of support, our friends definitely deserve support, of course. I, I would love to support any friend that had, had a traumatic experience, but you don't get to project your fears onto other people. It's just not fair. No, I completely agree with that. There's a difference between education and like fear-mongering. Yeah. And like <laughs> even different. though I had a great birth with Ray, I mean it wasn't 100% great. He came a bit early. He needed to stay at special care for a week, blah, blah, blah. But even though the birth itself was actually great, I'd be lying if I didn't have a moment here and there of going, you're always a little bit fearful of what could go wrong to your child or to you. Like I also think I've got a low platelet and hemoglobin count. Postpartum hemorrhage is a little bit more risky for me. Not that much, but just a little bit more. Like there's so much stuff that we carry to our births. We do not deserve to share our trauma in a non-productive way with our pregnant friends. Someone else said, my mother-in-law told me that my face looked fat. I was 12 weeks. <laughs> oh, my oh. God, 12 weeks. Jesus. <laughs> that is oh, that's so terrifying. Mean. Oh, my God. This is from a friend. Literally, the woman at the petrol station asked if I was having twins. And when I said no, she said, oh, do you have gestational diabetes then? What has what? That, that got that to do mean? with anything? <laughs> My grandmother-in-law told me about her full-term stillbirth experience right before I was due. See, that sort That's... of stuff is just, it's just not your time or place. I'm sorry that no. that happened to her grandmother-in-law, but she's I've never heard someone say my grandmother-in-law. I know. I was like, that's, that's, that's Margaret to me. That's Margie. Yeah. That's I your know. grandma. I just I call her my grandma because none of mine are left, unfortunately. Oh. But um, And because I love her. Well, I call her Margie these days. But grandmother-in-law is a great, great term. I love that. Yeah. I found people always went straight to the negative. Oh, you'll be so tired. You'll have no time. Some other people said, are you sure you're only X amount of weeks? You're enormous. I'm not sure why you're so sick. I never got sick. You're huge or you're tiny. Enjoy sleep while you can and traumatic birth stories. Your bump is so small or your bump is so big. Wow, you're huge. Should you be eating that? Sleep now. Just you wait. Sleep as much as you can now. Like we can control our circadian rhythms ourselves or sleep extra. (laughs) Do you know what I would say to all these people who say get the extra sleep? Okay, I've had to, so I don't feel like I'm an expert, but I feel like I can give some good advice on this. In my last trimester with both my children, I needed to pee so many times throughout the night. I think I weighed four times last night and I'm 31 weeks. See? Oh, it'll mm. increase. Like it's yeah. wild. It's like yeah. sometimes I would pee and then my head would hit the pillow and I'd be like, I need to weigh again. I, and then same. I go, and you're like, you're like speaking to yourself. You're like, surely I don't yeah. need to weigh. Like I'm, <laughs> ma- I'm making not. this up. I'm gaslighting myself. Literally. <laughs> Can't possibly be a but, full bladder. I haven't drank anything in between now and then. When, no joke, by the end of it, when both Zave and Sienna came, I felt like I was getting more sleep because I was peeing less. Like I genuinely think I was up, or like I had like pregnancy insomnia. So yeah. I was either awake, like I'm awake at 3 a.m. Mm. Or I was peeing so many times that by the time Zave and Sienna arrived, I'm like, you know what? Like every two mm. to three hours, I ain't so bad. 
Because yeah, I, I agree. I was waiting that much before. And Lisa Walker, who I recently had on the podcast, who founded Air Women and who yes. specifically speaks to women going through perimenopause and beyond, she was like, just make friends with the night because your sleep will be affected. I'm so sick of this. Like, we can't bank sleep. Like, we don't bank sleep in our 20s to then survive off no. of sleep in our 30s. Stop fucking telling people to sleep. So maybe you're right to say like have rests when you can get them if you're very pregnant. But otherwise, shut the fuck up about it. I know. Sleep. It's so frustrating. Like, it's going to shock us regardless when we have a newborn. Even this one, I'm like, I don't think I remember what it's like in those early days. But I will figure it out because I'll have to. Exactly. There were heaps more people that said things along the lines of size. A lot more people said the negative story. Someone said, far out, your life is over. Someone said, oh my God, are you sure you're not having twins? Eating for two with a question mark. I had someone comment that I must be due tomorrow. I was 34 weeks. Is this your first to insinuate that this person looked small? Again, are you sure you're not having twins? Did you hear about what happened in my labor? It was petrifying. You must be almost due. Are you having twins yet again? You look massive. Why can't we just say you look amazing? Yeah. Or like don't even comment on the way they look. How beautiful that you're pregnant. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Like, just Agreed. Shut, shut up. up. the fuck up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I have one more to wrap things up and that's that someone was told to stop exercising or your baby will be born prematurely and sick. Who on earth said that? Who are these people? Where has that even come from? So as we said, just if you're going to comment on someone's looks to do with pregnancy, just tell them they look great and healthy. Otherwise, shut the fuck up about their looks and say how exciting that you are pregnant. Congratulations. So, Lou, how much sex are tired parents actually having? So I recently asked everyone on Instagram to submit what they'd like us to talk about. I was feeling a little bit uninspired that day. Couldn't think of a topic to bring to our polls. And what sex and came up as one, number one? <laughs> this one stood out sex. to me. Let's, Let's talk, about, talk sex. about sex, baby. <laughs> and I think everyone's going to feel comforted by this because the results were so even, which I'm giving away, damn it. Okay. But one was still the winner. So the options okay. was. You don't have yes. to guess percentages because I've obviously already said that they were pretty splayed. Mm. The options, tell me what you think is the most popular answer. How much sex are tired parents actually having? Weekly or more is option A. My hat goes off to those people. Fortnightly, monthly, or honestly, hardly ever. What was the most popular? Oh, mate. I reckon monthly. Honestly, hardly ever one. Oh, fucking Which great. Which I'm happy about. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, so 34% for honestly, hardly ever, 28% for monthly, 22% for fortnightly, 16% for weekly or more. That must be the only honest bloody survey I've ever heard because yeah. I feel like everything I read is like fucking four times a week. Like, oh, who's doing that? I and I did that for uh, the first year of our relationship. I'm like, only. are you 19? Yeah. Are you 19? Yeah. You just met. When you first met. Yeah, exactly. What's going on here? My, because Ray did come that little bit earlier, a lot of my chats with my midwife is around like, what can I do to not 
bring on labor before 37 weeks yes. essentially and she was like penetration um, doesn't oh, help that word and I was like, it's a terrible word and I was like oh poor hey it's already looking pretty bad but now <laughs> now you'll wait till the baby is four months old <laughs> Luckily, he's a patient man and doesn't ever put pressure on me to have sex with him. I'm so sorry, Hayden, if this is too much, but it's out there now. And this is your cousin, so that's oh, nice don't that makes me sick. That well, we're not gross. doing it, so that's actually oh, even better. Don't have to worry about it. So then, the next question was because obviously there'd be people out there that are under fortnightly who maybe were like rabbits before kids. So my next question was, how much has your sex life reduced post kids? So the options were dramatically, a bit, and not at all really. What percent? Uh, what do you think was the front runner there? I reckon a bit. Dramatically, seventy-one percent oh. said dramatically. 20% said a bit and 10% of those legends who are out there getting <laughs> laid said not at all really. I'm so, honestly, I want to high five every single one of them. I don't know how they're doing it. I'm so Good impressed on them. by them. Good on them because you do miss intimacy in a relationship but that can sit alongside being way too tired to do anything do you know about what, it. Do you know what was a trend? Remember that trend that it was like have have intimacy with your partner every day for 30 days? I'm like, yeah. Can be fucked. Also, that doesn't feel like. It, also, I'm like that doesn't feel like intimacy. But intimacy was brought up in a yoga prenatal yoga class with my friend Cell, and she was talking about how intimacy doesn't have to be sex, and it actually made me feel really good because she was talking about how you can just have those moments where you like look into each other's eyes, give each other a hug, and things like that. And I yes. did think a bit like, oh. That's a good reminder to do those things because you can so often have your yes. head down when your partner walks in the door and or it's a change. I didn't know what you were gonna say then. Oh dear. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It is a reminder to um pick other intimate moments. So I just yes. try to make an effort now to even just give Hayden a hug because sometimes even that doesn't happen. So I asked people then how they felt about it, like if it was bothering okay. them or if they didn't really care. Yes. Here's what people said. I feel fine. My partner, who is a male, <laughs> feels less fine. <laughs> I'm 100% yep. okay with it. I know it's a season, but we do try to spice things up when we can. Mostly fine, mixed up with a bit of guilt, feeling undesirable, tired, not fully present. I would say that's me. 90% of the time I'm just like, this is the phase. I'm growing life. We have a young child, blah, blah, yes. blah. I don't think he really cares that much. I think he'd like to have more of it, but. I don't think it like bothers him in the way that some men do seem to like be desperate for it. But you do yep. have those moments of feeling guilty. Not that you should, because where where does our pleasure come into that equation? But you yeah, do. yeah, and I do think like, I mean, I'm not saying that it's pivotal to any relationship, but it does change a relationship to a, from a friendship to a relate. Like, yeah, like you do need. I don't know intimacy. how to explain that. You do. Yeah. yeah, intimacy obviously is important, but exactly what you said, Lou. Like, you don't have to be sleeping with your partner every yeah. second day to achieve that yeah there are other ways but it is interesting that for the most part we do still seem to worry more about their pleasure than ours yes which yes. I think which maybe you could say partly is to do with biology in a heterosexual relationship maybe a lot of the time the men do want more sex but we know that that's not always the case but it does still feel like the burden falls on the I agree with to that, make actually. it happen it's really interesting yeah. Yeah, maybe that's why men are spending more time in the bathroom. <laughs> the bathroom. <laughs> they are not ejecting. Maybe uh, that's why. Yeah. 
other bodily fluids are coming out. Yeah, wow, maybe. Getting unhinged. Maybe. Someone said, is it bad that I 1,000% don't even care? I love that. Nah. Good on you. It's not good bad. You, You're dog. in a phase of your life. It's good that you exactly. acknowledge it. Not great. It's worse the second time around. Uh-oh. <laughs> Hopefully there's a shift soon. I feel guilty not because of the lack of sex but the loss of intimacy. That is the big one for me when I'm feeling a little bit down about it. It's the loss of intimacy, not the actual sex itself. Guilty and also relieved, someone says. Someone else says it'll come back. Someone says way too exhausted to care. Happy to read my Kindle but I do feel a little bit guilty about our mismatch Happy drives. to read my Kindle. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Someone said, great, bedtime is becoming my only downtime, so I'd rather sleep, rest, or watch my shows. That's yep. another one, actually. I think, and Hayden actually is really good around the house, so this isn't why his sex life sucks, to be fair. It's because of my pregnancy. But when partners are contributing heaps more around the house, yes, the primary it's caregiver attractive. literally has less to do, is less tired, and it's the biggest turn on in the world. Like, yes, yes you do some laundry. That yes, I definitely agree with that. I agree yes, with you that. share the mental load. So this point of sort of like bedtime is becoming my only downtime. Of course she wants to use it to rest. It's the only time she got in the day. Take some tasks off her and maybe things. Maybe be a bit more active. <laughs> yeah. Someone said, do not even think about it, ha, which I love. Someone else said, bad. Someone said, sad. I would love to have that connection back. And then lastly, I'm touched out. Sometimes it feels like a part of the mental load, which is sad. I totally get that, which comes yeah, back so to what I was saying about that it does feel like it sits on the mum in those mother-father relationships. Yeah, It sort of feels like it's the mum's responsibility, which is so and hard. And it's like when a task. We're the ones that are, yeah, and we're the ones that have like carried, birthed and potentially breastfed a baby. Like we're the ones that are more tired, even if everything else is equal, and it still bloody falls on us. And I do think too, if it is feeling like a task for you, likelihood is it's also feeling like a task for your partner. Partner knows. They know yeah. when you're like, mind is, I've got to do the groceries tomorrow. Let's just get this done. You're not there. So it's like, is it worth it for that? I don't know. I don't know if it is nah, in those, those sad sex moments. Yeah. I'm like, this is pathetic. Rather have good, good stuff less often. Agreed. Yeah. This Agreed. is pathetic. We need to grow yeah. up. Yeah. We could have chatted for hours, but we need to get to the tips because we've ended up. Yes. We said we we're going to try and shorten these episodes. We have no, not this done be a long one. <laughs> um, so my tip of the week is not all feedback is equal, and I feel like this ties in really nicely to that pregnancy bump section. Feedback can be so great depending on who it's from and how relevant it is to the task at hand. Particularly in a workplace setting, people can tend to give you feedback that's unsolicited that you didn't ask for. And I know it's well-meaning, but they're so far removed from your role and what you're doing that it's meaningless. Like you're like, thanks so much for that feedback, Susan, from finance that I work in marketing. <laughs> I appreciate your finance take on my creative marketing strategy, but I'm just not sure that like you would be my ideal audience. So I think the key thing from feedback is be really selective who you're actually asking for feedback from. So mm. it, it doesn't matter what you do. Like I think you're better off if you're, if you're seeking validation or you're unsure on your work yeah. or um, maybe you need some constructive criticism on what you're doing or whatever it is, instead of like waiting for that feedback to come, find the people who you think will actually give you not good feedback but like relevant feedback and go ask them. 
It's really interesting that you say that because during the week I had a really great freelance project was which was producing this online course for two really prominent female founders. And they're essentially making this 10 module content and brand course. And they were talking about when you name your brand or your business, don't get a million opinions, get a few opinions and stick to them. Not everything is going to land with every single person. So I think that's perfect as to what you're saying. So I'm so glad you put this into the schedule for me. Thank you. Because I have totally forgotten a tip. My tip this week is to do with my upcoming postpartum. And it's something I saw on Instagram that said, yesterday I learned there's a phrase in German meaning I am feeling visited enough that you can say when you want company or visitors to go home. And I think this is really brilliant. So I'm going to tell people, I'm so not, but let's pretend I will. I'd love if I say, came over I'm and you're like, hey, Loz. <laughs> Uh, okay, okay, thanks for coming. I'm feeling visited enough now. <laughs> you I have visited me enough. I love that saying. It's so good. It's so polite. It's so direct. It's so German. Yeah, so that's so my good. tip. If you um, have a postpartum coming up, tell the people around you that you are feeling visited enough when you're ready. Did you want to give your funny tidbits? Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's wrap this up. Two terrible parenting moments. Firstly, it was my husband, Loz's cousin, Hayden's birthday recently. Also happens to fall on Ryan's birthday, which is Lauren's husband, which is a funny little coincidence. Anyway, I'm in boat camping, fishing. It's BCF and fun. Sorry, I can't not sing that song when it comes up, (laughs) when it comes up, when I bring it up. Anyway, he wanted a car fridge. Basically, Hayden and his business partner have bought like a cute old caravan was a tax write-off as a mobile site office. You could do that for a while during COVID. So it's very affordable. It's great. And we're sharing, we basically share it with them. And Hayden wanted a car fridge. So I go to boats, camping, fishing. I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. I'm a fish out of water looking like a Please say you're wearing one of those hats, like a cool hat. Oh, with a bit of a cork with the cork coming down. Beautiful. I'd love that. I think I'll have to get one next time. Um, And I put, Ray down just for a second. Didn't bring the pram in, which is dumb. You're 30 weeks pregnant. I would have been then maybe just under. You're big, you're slow, you're tired. Put the kid in the pram. So much easier. I didn't do that, of course. So I just sort of let him get down. And I'm in this big warehouse. Huge. Oh, and he would shop. have loved it. He would have been like, oh, oh my God, like, there's so many good sick. things to touch Where in here. Am I? This place <laughs> is like as big as the world. And so I put him down quickly looking at fridges. Next minute, he's gone. I'm in this huge shop screaming Ray with my very pregnant belly. My dad laughed that everyone probably thought I was looking for a grandpa because I was yelling out Ray. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, gee, a fisherman grandpa is somewhere here, but she can't find him. I'm looking for this little 18-month toddler. We're at the very back of the shop. He had run to the front. He was nearly on the street. I was yelling for him. No one helped me. At the very end, this man who was in the shop helped me, but no staff helped me. And Ray was nearly on the street and he was laughing and he was like, hey. it was fucking terrifying and a terrible oh, They're so really quick. embarrassing. And I just didn't appreciate how quick he was to be yeah, honest. They're quick. So that was my first terrible parenting moment. The second was I had this fucked work day and it was on a day that isn't normally a work day. So it wasn't a childcare day, but I just had some extra freelance work. It was an absolute minefield of what I had to do. I had to drop. So we lived down the coast on the Mornington Peninsula. Had to drive Ray to Hayden's parents an hour away. Had to stop for food beforehand. Then I had to drive into the, into the, no, past the city for this shoot. 
So I just, there was a lot going on that day. My mind was busy. I stopped near Hayden's parents to get a focaccia because it's the only time I was going to be able to get some food. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I just Hungry gal. told you it was you focaccia. Go. Yeah. But I, I nice. needed, the gal needed to eat. I left Ray in the car for the second that I ordered because I thought I'll just get it and get back in the car. For some reason, the cafe needed to heat it up as cafe policy. So I got Ray out of the car while I waited for it to get heated. He's obsessed with cars, gave him my car keys, but I always normally take it off him before I get back in the car so that he can't lock himself in. Oh, shit. So you were luckily, at the cafe. Oh, fuck. Luckily, I put the windows down in the front seat because I left him in the car for that first minute. What does he do? He locks himself in. Second oh, lucky God. point, second, I did one, but I meant two, is that because I am pregnant, I keep accidentally taking both sets of keys out with me. Lou, this is so stressful. But no, this was my saviour because in the front seat, I'm like absolutely like re- reconfiguring my arm <laughs> to get through to the fucking seat to pull up this bag after freaking out for minutes being like what am I going to do Ray is stuck in this fucking car luckily it wasn't <laughs> a sunny hot day and I eventually like bruised my arm to get the bag pull it out and lo and behold the second set of cars are in there oh my so god luckily my fogginess at the moment and my unhinged brain led me to have both sets of keys there because otherwise it would have been much more of a disgraceful situation <laughs> Would have got out eventually, obviously. But so for anyone out there that's had a few bad parenting moments, maybe send them in. Maybe feel better (laughs) about yourself because I've had them too. And on that note, we have wrapped another episode of Witching Hour. As always, if you have loved today's episode, please leave us a positive or just a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Four stars or more at least. Yeah, four stars or more. We won't take anything less. (laughs) Follow us on readyornot.pod. We will see you next week. Bye.